Welcome to Historical Jesus. I'm Mark Vinette. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. The Gospel of Luke. According to Christians and most biblical scholars, Jesus of Nazareth has an historical context. He is neither a myth nor a legend. He is both historical and verifiable. He is mentioned not only in the New Testament, but by contemporaries and early documents, such as Josephus, Pliny, Tacitus, Suetonius, Barserapian, Thallus, Lucian, and the Talmud. Jesus is thus a person in history. Jesus lived in an area occupied by the mighty Roman Empire ruled by an autocratic emperor. Caesar Augustus was the emperor Octavian, founder of the Roman Empire, and the man in power when Jesus was born. He reigned from 27 BC until 14 AD, when he was succeeded by his adoptive son, Tiberius Caesar, who was emperor when Jesus was executed. Let's investigate the monumental life of Emperor Octavian Caesar Augustus with help from the 15-Minute History Podcast. Behold, I found Rome of clay and leave her to you of marble. The last public words recorded by Gaius Octavian Caesar Augustus. The old man lay in his bed, surrounded by courtiers and family members. He had traveled from Rome to visit the place where his father had died many years ago, and now his own life was slipping away. History records his last words as, Have I played the part well? Then applaud as I exit. Caesar Augustus, first citizen of Rome and the founder of an empire that outlasted him by over 1,400 years, departed this life peacefully. But his rise and reign had been anything but peaceful. Gaius Octavian The man who would overthrow a republic and build an empire was born in Rome in 63 BC. His father, Octavius, was a soldier and minor politician, while his mother, Attia, was a member of the republic's elite and, according to surviving records, a model of religious devotion and public morality. Gaius Octavian spent much of his first years outside Rome, which was crowded and dirty at the time and still reeling from a recent war between two rivals for supremacy in the republic. His family lived in Veltri, now a suburb of Rome, but then a wealthy village, until Octavius died when his son was only four. After the appropriate period of mourning, Attia married Lucius Marcius Philippus, who claimed to have descended from Alexander the Great. The couple then spent more time in the company of friends and patrons, and Octavian was raised by his grandmother, Julia. She showed the boy great care and became his closest adult relative. Whenever her brother visited, he would dote on Octavian and show him every kindness possible. Julia died in 51 BC, and the young Octavian gave his first public speech at her funeral in the presence of his granduncle and new role model, Gaius Julius Caesar. Octavian entered the rough-and-tumble world of Roman politics at the age of 16, serving as a priest and winning election to the highest levels of the Republic's state religion. He hoped to join Julius Caesar on campaign in North Africa and Spain during his war against Gnaeus Pompey Magnus, but ill health and a dangerous shipwreck prevented him joining the battle for power in Rome. 
when Caesar triumphed and returned to the capital, he adopted Octavian and named him the sole heir to his position and property, and the two men spend a great deal of time together planning how best to restore the Republic. Historians are unsure how much Octavian knew of Caesar's intentions, but the victorious dictator taught his heir everything he knew of military tactics and reminded him to always be aware of those around him. Of course, Caesar did not take his own advice to heart, and when a group of senators led by his close friend Marcus Junius Brutus murdered him in March 44 BC, Octavian was far from Rome studying at a military college. The 19-year-old heir returned to the capital immediately to claim his inheritance. He took the name Caesar as his own, but the political situation in the city prevented him succeeding his granduncle as dictator. Nevertheless, names in Rome seemed to hold great power, summoning the memory of great heroes of old and their bravery in defense of the Republic. Scipio against Hannibal at Zama, Pompey against the pirates, Caesar at Elysia. For Gaius Octavian Caesar, it turned out that his name was everything. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Gaius Octavian Caesar. In the wake of Julius Caesar's murder, the political situation in the Roman Republic sat on a knife's edge. Octavian's new name earned him the loyalty of Caesar's soldiers, and he promised to pay them handsomely once he received his inheritance. Those senators who had supported Brutus and the other conspirators had fled Rome after Caesar's funeral, and the dictator's second-in-command, Mark Antony, controlled the city and commanded its armies, at least on paper. However, Antony's brutal reputation, his speech at Julius Caesar's funeral declaring him to be a god, and his actions against anyone he suspected of disloyalty soon turned many of his supporters away. They looked to the man who now bore the great name Caesar as their new lord. Trading on his new name, Octavian borrowed money with the promise to pay it back once he had come into his own. He then raised an army, largely made up of Caesar's veterans. As Antony grew more tyrannical in Rome, many began to look to Octavian, who was only a private citizen and thus could not legally command troops, as a potential savior. Six months after the death of Julius Caesar, the leading senator in Rome, Marcus Tullius Cicero, denounced Antony in a series of speeches and declared him an enemy of the state, which cost him his life at the hands of Antony's assassins. The Senate dispatched an army to attack Antony's forces at Mutina in northern Italy, and Octavian's troops joined them. The legions prevailed in the Battle of Mutina, but the Senate's appointed commanders both died in the fighting. Octavian claimed the victory as his own and now stood as Antony's equal in Rome. The two men met on the field and agreed to a truce. Antony and Octavian both suspected the Senate meant to destroy them and return power to the conspirators who had murdered Julius Caesar. Together with another popular general, Marcus Aemilius Lepidus, they formed a triumvirate to defeat the conspirators once and for all. The three triumvirs pursued these traitors across the length and breadth of the Republic before destroying their armies in the massive Battle of Philippi. 
With this threat now eliminated, the three generals divided up the Republic's lands to avoid the kind of competition that had led to the war between Caesar and Pompey. Octavian ruled the West, Antony the East, and Lepidus was left with Africa. Octavian finally claimed his inheritance in 40 BC, two years after the victory at Philippi. Lepidus soon fell from power after his son was accused of plotting Octavian's murder, and relations between the remaining two triumvirs eventually soured. Antony always treated Octavian as a mere upstart with little of Julius Caesar's wisdom or skill, while Octavian saw Antony as an uncultured brute with no real ability to effectively govern the Republic. The break finally came in 32 BC. Eight years earlier, Antony had married Octavia Minor, Octavian's sister. However, the marriage was never happy, and Antony left his wife in Rome while he moved to Alexandria to rule alongside the Queen of Egypt, Cleopatra VII. The two of them started a torrid love affair and had three children together. This open immorality offended many Romans, but was not enough for Octavian to declare war. Then, in late 33 BC, Octavian obtained a copy of Mark Antony's secret will from a temple in Rome and discovered that it included provisions to separate Rome's eastern territories from the Republic and give them to his two sons, who would rule as kings in their own right. This was base treason, and the outcry gave Octavian the excuse he needed to destroy his last great rival. The final war of the Roman Republic was brief, brutal, and decisive. A great battle off the Greek coast at Actium in September 31 BC destroyed the Eastern Roman and Egyptian fleets, and a smaller fight outside the gates of Alexandria, the capital of Egypt, 11 months later broke Antony and Cleopatra's forces entirely. The two lovers committed suicide soon after, and Octavian entered the city as a conquering hero. He personally annexed Egypt as his sole property, giving him control of the grain supply that fed the million people who lived in the city of Rome. He then spent the next five years consolidating his power by a combination of bribes, threats, and murders. He paid off senators to ensure his laws were enacted, gave away mountains of gold to the commoners who lived inside Rome's walls, and ensured that opponents met with accidents. Bizarrely, a favorite tactic was to send assassins to attack their victims in the many public toilets across Rome. Octavian always insisted in his speeches that he was working to restore the Republic as Julius Caesar had done, and he learned from his predecessor's mistake by always presenting himself as a statesman who wanted nothing more than to provide for his people. But behind the scenes, he could be as ruthless as modern dictators in his quest for power. I'm Mark Vinette. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY 
to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to the special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.